Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Brandon Slade with us. He is the founder and CEO of Untapped Learning, a former special education teacher. And I am so excited to learn about your journey today and the work you're doing. So thank you for being here. Yeah, and I'm so grateful for being here. Thanks thanks for all the content you're putting out. and It's super helpful. and. I wish I would have had something like this when I was jumping off. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Um, so what got you into education? Was there something that inspired you, a person or a moment, especially um, special education, if that was your first thing you wanted to really jump into? To be honest, I have no rational reason for this. Um, I've thought about it. And I so I, I was diagnosed with hyperactive ADHD very young. Um, I always say I have the best type of ADHD because I was the kid who was like flipping things and jumping on tables. And there were teams of people coming in to watch me trying to figure out what was wrong with this child type of person. Um, a reason I call it the best type of ADHD is because we work so many times. We see people, you know, 18, 20, 25, and they have like inattentive ADHD or some other struggle. And they've just been bright and kind and it's kind of gone unnoticed and they haven't really gotten the help that they need. That was definitely not me. So I, I struggled all throughout middle school, high school and college and you know, there's no great rational reason, but at the same time, there's always been kind of this deep fire to build something and to help kids with something, you know, that I struggled with. And we know we can build systems for them. They just weren't built when I was in school. So I, I think that's where, where the root of it is. Yeah. And I get this often on this show. And I think even like I can kind of relate not with um, ADHD, but sometimes we go into something because of our own experience as a child. So when you're going through that, then you're like, oh, how can I help, right? Like, what could I put in place that maybe would have helped me when I was a kid? And I always saw like my upbringing in teaching or in schools as that I wanted to be that teacher um, that really listened to kids and held space for them, especially if they felt like they were in a school that just had huge class sizes, kind of fell through the cracks, like no one really paid attention to them. So I, I do hear that as an inspiration is kind of looking back at your own experience. Uh, what were some of your early teaching experiences like once you became a special education teacher? Yeah, well, and and what you said is is, is such a great insight. And, and, and for me too, it's, you know, whether it's an ADHD or another executive function deficit, you know, we estimate like 50% of our CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people who have the potential to be game changers have this thing right and um it's kind of a boomer bust thing right now like either you're making it big or you're just flailing and and um going in a completely different path so I, I guess for me kind of going back to what you talked about i i think that's where the fire burns is we're losing too many kids who have the ability just to do mm. so much good and, and be game changers in this world um mm -hmm. so yeah so early teaching experiences um man i tried so hard it, it's one of those things i'm not sure if you feel the same way but i look back at my early teaching days and i just want to like apologize to so many kids you know it's like i tried so hard and i just had no idea what i was doing and um i think they knew i was trying hard but but i i just i just had a lot of room for growth the fire was there but you know you don't know how to manage a classroom 
you're constantly prepping and lesson planning and you're trying to figure out how to navigate through this world and get the good work done. And that's not easy. Um, so I, I think like myself, a lot of people have that fire and that passion and want to help, but you just don't know what you're, you don't know what you don't know yet. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. The early years are just bonkers. And you're like, what <laughs> the heck was I doing? I was a hot mess. Like my first year, my first year teaching, I was 22. And that's exactly what I was. Yep. They gave me a senior class. So I'm, I was teaching some kids that were 18 and some actually had like a boyfriend or girlfriend in college. I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh. They were like asking me to prom. They're like asking me what I'm doing on the weekend. I'm like, this is not working. This is, so it was pretty rough, but you're just, I think that's when you're also like a sponge and you're taking it all in and you're really, really open to just growing and, you know, kind of owning your mistakes and wanting to, you know, try anything and anything in your tool belt to kind of make it work. Um, and I think kids see that too. Like, I think they, they know when you're a new teacher, some will take advantage. Actually, many, many will take advantage, but <laughs> yeah. I think there is grace there. And when you actually are being, you know, someone who cares and wants to try, they will give you the benefit of the doubt and really work with you. But those are usually a lot of funny stories in the early years of teaching. Absolutely. No, I actually had a very similar experience. So I, I taught special education, but in high school for, and, and so it was like kids who were darn close to my age and you walk in and day one and the relationship is there, right? It's like all these kids just, they want the relationship, but there's a really hard time differentiating yourself from a peer. And you know, when those hard months come, those October, November, February type months, you know, when you have to crack down, that's a really hard time because you don't know what you're doing. Um, at least I didn't. And you still have to get a lot of stuff done and I have to prepare you. And a lot of times they just wanted to draw upon that relationship. And so I had a hard time with that for the first few years. Yeah, it is a fine balance because you want to build the rapport and they 100%. instantly want to connect with you. But then you're, you're thinking I am, you know, a professional. I have a job to do and I need to make sure that you are learning and gaining those skills that you need to, you know, by the time you're done with this school year. Do you want to go into any details about, um, it could be from your teaching or the work you do now about executive functioning skills or a little bit more, especially for listeners that are listening to you talk about that. But they're like, I'm not really sure. What is, what do you do with kids with that? Or like, what is the kind of work that you do specifically? Yeah, so yeah, executive function skills, we're finding more and more how, how how important they're becoming, right? It used to be a learning disability thing that these kids struggled with executive function skills. Now it's kind of like an every kid thing, which is weird to say. And we could go down that rabbit hole if you wanted to, but so many kids are struggling with this right now. So when we talk about executive function skills, basically it's just all the cognitive processes that work together so you can achieve your goal. So your goal may be something big, like getting in your final research paper, passing an AP exam, and all the steps needed to get there, daily studying, the papers, the, you know, diving in deep. It's all that work to get to your end goal. Or your goal may be something small, like making it to class on time, turning in your homework, paying attention. It's your executive function skills that get you there. So your executive function skills is, it's comprised of time management, organization, impulse control, um, uh, paying attention, self-assessment or metacognition. So, so all these things that work together, mm -hmm. these self-regulation skills so you can get to your end goal. So that's that's what executive function skills are. Yeah, and thanks. That's a great explanation. And it's not just necessarily, like you mentioned, before it would be maybe a learning disability that goes into like a 504 plan or um, IEP, but that a lot of students 
uh, might have an area that they need to really work on. And you could probably see that in adults as well. And, you know, something <laughs> all that can be very, yes. all the time, right? Yes. Well, and, and sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Um, yeah, that's it's, true. Uh, it's, it's, it's just one of those things that for whatever reason, we could go into like parenting that we don't give our kids enough freedom to, you know, problem solve and figure things out or, or other things, you know, we're looking at, you know, some te what technology is doing. But at the end of the day, our kids just don't have the skills that they used to. And especially with task initiation, we've noticed that post COVID getting started is like 75% of the battle for so many of our kids. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to get into that because it's usually a part where um, if someone's in the classroom, they talk about what teaching was like in the pandemic, but just in general, like, what are you seeing through going through the pandemic, post-pandemic? Um, is there is there more of a need for the work that you're doing or just there's more awareness that this needs to be something that we're working on with kids? It's it's such a hot button issue. It's, it's, it's a chicken or the egg thing. Uh, mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we're seeing just tons and tons of kids need help with this right now. Um, and a piece of that is that as teachers, we had to go so much more technology-based than we used to. And this has the ability to be a huge gift, but it's also a huge challenge. So I know a lot of the work that we do with universities across the country and school districts is helping them figure out what that executive function practice that they need to work on is, whether it's routines in the classroom or classroom management, or you know what we're seeing more and more is the online organization for middle school and high school kid, college kids, how important that's become. So whether it's your Schoology, your Google Classroom, your Canvas, your D2L, whatever that looks like in your district. So many of our students are having biggest challenge simply finding every part of the assignment mm. and then following through and doing it. So that's a lead domino for a lot of us educators. If we can get that thing really organized, really tight, mm -hmm. it knocks out so many parent emails, it knocks out accommodations, it knocks out so many other things where it just frees up our life. But it is work up front. It's a lot of work up front. So when we went virtual, and then hybrid, I I remember spending hours on my webpage and we all have the same platform. We use Blackboard, but of course each teacher can make it look however they want. And some use Google Classroom. So I think what was difficult for kids is that every teacher had a different way of creating organization and it all looked very, very different, even if it was on the same platform. And then some had Google Classroom, some had this Blackboard because that's where our grades lived comments, emails home in that system. And our school just gave the option, if you want to use Google Classroom, do it. For me, I wanted consistency. I feel like consistency helps me. It helps my students. I'm like, if everything lives on one platform, that's the one I'm using, but I'm going to make it as robust as possible. And uh, it takes a lot of time up front, but now what's great about it is each year I can import all the work that I did and then just tweak where I'm at and have an outline kind of, of week to week what we're doing. And if you're absent or you just parents want to look at it and have a little bit more transparency of what they're doing in the classroom, it's like all there. And I think Absolutely. the pandemic helped us bridge this, you know, use technology as a tool. Obviously now we're back in person and we want to have conversations and we want to do things with our hands and you know, maybe even more things on paper, writing on paper in a journal, but that platform is really essential for the students to follow what's going on. And they need to know, like, where are we going with this? You know, what, what do you want me to get to? What am I, what are the skills I'm learning and what does the assessment look like? 
And that is, you know, very essential. Like even for me as someone who didn't really struggle in school, um, I need organization or I feel completely lost. Yeah. Well, and what you said was so important there too, because, you know, like, like, even though like, let's say a high school kid has six or seven different classes, every teacher has a different setup, even within one teacher's class. It's like, let's say you have a research paper. So the rubrics in one spot, the description in another spot, you know, you're, you're kind of like hunting right now for everything. And, you know, obviously I don't blame teachers because I am one, but it's just like, it's like, if we can find a way to get that thing so organized, parents are on the same page. And then the other thing that was really important for me as well is your special education teacher, your interventionist, your counselor, whoever that is, if a kid is struggling, they can just dive right into it. And that saves you an email, that saves you a meeting, that saves you a lot of time on the back end if you can just set it all up on the front end. I know we do everything through, you know, with our students, we talk about the Navy SEAL uh, mentality, discipline equals freedom all the time. There's only one path, path to freedom, which is what all of our kids want, and that's through discipline. And that's that's how I feel about a lot of these online platforms with a lot of teachers we collaborate with is if we can discipline you and help you create this thing up front and update that weekly, my hope, and I've seen it happen over and over, is it saves you hours and hours of freedom on the back end because mm -hmm. everyone knows what you're doing. And, you know, it's it's the silent sprint. Everyone can do what they need to without mm -hmm. bugging you. Yeah, I love that, the silent sprint. Yeah, the more you put into something, it's like anything in life, you're going to get, you know, more back. So if you put a lot of preparation in, it's just going to make everything flow. And then you can kind of then work on creative projects and lessons Correct. and really be engaged yeah. in the class because everything is set up. Um, what Would you like to share any of like specific work that you do with schools with untapped learning or how you do like professional development? Is it more working with schools and teachers or is it you do work with students one-on-one -on -one as well? So for our executive function work, we have a, you know, we have, we call it, it's like our little ADHD Narnia. We have a warehouse in Broomfield where we've got a couple football fields and classrooms and we do intensive executive function work. So we have about 200 kids here. We work with kids remotely across the country, um, work with businesses and organizations like Lululemon and train them on what this ADHD, anxiety, you know, uh, dyslexia, executive function deficit thing is. And then um, when schools call us in, it is to set up these Google classrooms, but it's also just to help them guide their instruction to really help kids with executive function deficits thrive. And how we always frame it kind of like the online portal is what's the lead domino here? So teaching is an impossible job. And... We have to find a way to make it as possible as possible, right? And so what's one thing that we can do that can take care of 5, 10, 15 other challenges? So an example of that is if you organize your online portal, will you free up a ton of other things, mm -hmm. right? Another example is, I know for me, I had to search for my lead domino. When I taught eighth grade special education, I had 25 kids with ADHD coming into my seventh period class. Um, when, as teachers, we need to ask ourselves, what is that lead domino? What's one routine we can implement to make a bunch of other things easier? So an example for me was when I taught students explicitly how to enter my classroom, it saved me starting the class anxious, hooping and hollering, um, all these other things with these large classes of kids with you know 504 plans and IEPs. That one thing saved me bunch of other challenges. So that's the constantly domino executive function question we're asking is what's one routine we can implement to make a bunch of other things in our life and our teaching practice easier. I love that. So, and I like this collaboration with um, wanting to work with teachers to kind of give them a little bit more context about maybe the types of kids that they have in their class and why these 
online portals being really organized, classroom routines. It's not just to feel like you have control or a lot of like, you know, just the classroom management just to have it, but here's the why, right? Like, and I think especially coming from you, A, being a student who went through the school system, having ADHD, then being a special education teacher, you have this background to really kind of work with teachers and say, hey, I know, I know what these kids are going through. And I've also had to work on my own, you know, kind of classroom routine so that it can manage because then it all flows. And you're right. Kids want consistency. We often think they don't want a lot of rules or they just want complete freedom. And I, I do believe that students do need a little bit more choice in like what they learn and maybe how they learn. But when it comes to the environment of the class and like also the environment of an online system that is housing all of their work and assignments, it needs to be organized and it needs to flow because that makes them feel safe. It makes them know what to the expectations and how they're supposed to be. And can, if it's consistent, they can do that time and time and again. And then you have this open space to create. And then you can just say, we could flow now. That is such a great point because the pushback you always get with these classroom routines, and we can dive in much deeper for more context if you like, but the pushback you get is, will this make my classroom boring, right? Mm -hmm. And so we look at some of the most successful people, especially creative people are like, is this gonna make my whatever boring? I can't be creative. When we look at the most successful people, um, whether it's a Picasso or someone else, if you read the biography, Picasso had in his biography, he had from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. every day he was in his lab creating. He had very clear structures and boundaries for himself. And then within that, his creativity thrived. Like he wasn't waiting for the like, when am I going to work today? When am I going to do this? All this mental freedom was open up so his creativity could thrive. So a silly example of this is we were working with a very high level university for engineering. And the professor had... Um, these brilliant kids who just weren't getting things done, right? And so he had his discussion post due throughout the week at 11.59 p.m. and his assignments due at 11.59 a.m. And they're on random days. All we did was line that up and say, discussions are due every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. Papers are due every single Thursday at 11.59 p.m. Had the same time, same time for turn-in and work completion improved by like 25%. Mm. So. All we're doing is setting these boundaries. And then the, the assignments can be as creative as possible. But for these kids with executive function deficits, hitting a moving target is really challenging. So the clear expectations thing you spoke about is so important. Yes. Yeah. They want to see, again, the end goal and that this is what it's going to be like. And then I can, you're actually giving them freedom to then, all right, this is when it's due or this is what you need to do. Now, figure out your own kind of goals with your time and how you're going to get this assignment in or get this project in so that they then can have some autonomy and then be able to do, I always tell them too, I'm like, you know, if you want to do things last minute, that's on you. And I always give them personal stories. Like I remember doing that a lot in college and yeah, I mean, I could still do it and do good work, but I had so much heightened anxiety. I don't want to feel like that. So if I can set it up where I'm doing little pieces of a project or a paper before it. And I just give it as a suggestion. I'm like, you do what works for you, but you need to find your rhythm. And it should be also not um, weighing on your mental health, right? Like you should be doing it in a way that feels comfortable and feels good. And then this is when it's due, period, you know? And so it's being transparent with them as well. Well, and um, 
so as someone who had extra time and accommodations, right? It's like when a teacher was like, okay, this is due Thursday. And then if you have extra time, just get it in whenever. Well, for me, that of course I meant never, right? <laughs> as at the end of semester, I was like down in Red Bulls and just like doing like anxiety was through the roof. And it, and it, it was the teachers and professors who's like, okay, this is due Tuesday. And if you have extra time, it's due Friday. We do very poorly with gray, black and white, you know, until this prefrontal cortex matures and develops. Mm. And usually it's about two to three to five years behind, depending on who you ask, um, until this thing develops. Um, we just do really well with black and white. And it feels good, like you said. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't really talk about my background before. My background is I, I went from Boulder uh, County out to Ohio after high school on a football scholarship. And I just bombed out quickly. You think you're all alone. This thing, it turns out like so many of us with severe ADHD or anxiety or any other executive function challenge have this, right? Mm -hmm. You can't navigate your academic with your athletic with your social. It's too gray. But then when you put in systems, you systematize your life and you do the hard work and put in bumpers, um, it weirdly becomes a gift over time. It takes oh, takes some time. It takes a lot yeah. of work, but 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 it weirdly can become a gift. So that's where the passion comes for the kids is how do we help them systematize and create routines and structures in their life to help them thrive and use this intelligence. Yeah. And I like the idea of bumpers, right? It's like it's not walls, it's not borders, it's not putting things in boxes, right? Because we're also in a in time period where we're talking about how we want to be more open and free and not put everything in boxes, but it's bumpers to give you some structure so that you feel you can actually be successful and accomplish what you want to accomplish. I think when you explain to students the why, like why we have these structures, why we have these goals and rules or whatever that may be routines and get to that metacognition piece and get to like the psychology piece you were talking about I teach psychology as well so just we yeah. talk about the brain development all day yeah. long. Could be another episode but um that makes a lot of sense and when you explain that to them they get it and they they don't like it when there's just things you have to do and they don't know why they're doing it so I think if we explain this is why we're doing it. And it's for your benefit. And again, teachers need to like stand up and be like, um, I'm not just a history teacher or English teacher or special ed teacher. I tell my students this all the time. I'm like, a lot of our background is in child development, right? It's in pedagogy, how to, you know, create lessons and create classroom environments for learning. So we, a lot of our background is in psychology. We're, you know, maybe not an expert psychologist, but we understand how children learn in particular age group that we you know are focused on and so when I'm telling you we're doing this for this reason and talk about again brain development and all of that they can see it more and then they can respect it instead of like maybe like wanting to push against oh there's so many rules or routines or whatnot yeah, it's a great point. Actually, I'm a school psychologist as well, which is funny. You, 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 you teach psychology and a lot of this is, is woven in. But when you have an executive function deficit, you fight structure like crazy. What do we need more than anything in the world? Of course, it's structure, right? And once we accept that and understand that, so much mental clarity opens up, right? So I have a bowl next to my front door. When you walk in, I put my wallet keys and my phone in there. That's called my landing pad. You know, I, everything lands there in the morning. It's my launching pad. I scoop and I launch. And, you know, my, my whole life is, is routine based right now, being an adult with ADHD. And people are like, well, doesn't that make your life boring? The answer is absolutely not. I'm not blaming other people running around like an anxious wreck because I lost my car keys, 
right? It's like, it's like we have these routines to set things up so you can use this neurodiversity as a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as, as educators, again, one of the things that I noticed from all the master teachers, and I know something we work really hard on is parents and, and people like me are always like, you got to advocate, you got to advocate. We're telling kids they have to advocate, right? For whatever, whether it's their needs, whether it's their accommodations, yeah. whatever. No one teaches them how to advocate. And then we get frustrated when they advocate or we get or when they don't do it correctly or they don't do it at all. And so it's breaking down these skills as an educator. What do they have and what do they don't? And then role-playing that, right? Um, it's one of these go slow to go fast things. It's like, if you're tired of kids coming off as entitled and being disrespectful, if you teach them how to advocate, if you put a script in that's hyperlinked off from your syllabus, here's how to email me in a respectful manner. Not only do they get your content quicker, do you have that relationship, but it's also it's a lifelong skill that we're developing that translates no matter how the world changes, it translates one-to-one. So as an educator, the ones that I've seen who are just masters have the ability to break down what is success in my classroom and reverse engineer that and help kids um, build those skills before they sprint through the curriculum. Yeah, that's a great point because no one is teaching them, you know, how to properly communicate with their teacher unless you tell them to do that. So if you're very explicit and that way it suits all students, because maybe there's some students that do know how to do that, but if you just put it in your syllabus or you have it up on your website, it's there for everyone. And so then it becomes like a place where at least the student's like, okay, I know how to do this because the teacher taught me how to do this. And then when they do it and they get positive feedback from their teacher, oh, thank you for coming to see me in a timely fashion to get extra help. That was great. And when you give them that feedback, they're like, oh yeah, this is what I should be doing. And that's the second piece. So setting it up, like how to do it and then giving them feedback. That's That's what they really want is the feedback. Well, correct. And and it's like, so you just role play it. Like, here's how to walk up to me when I'm not talking, shoulders back, head high, and communicate in a non-entitled, respectful way, right? And then what you said is so important. So the typical kid with executive function deficits gets 10,000, excuse me, 20,000 more negative reinforcements than positive reinforcements by the age oh, of 10. Wow. And then it goes up exponentially from there, right? And so the research says two pats on the back, one kick in the tail, you know, two two praise, one accountability is the correct path here right being realistic not like i said in october november february those 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 dark months right it's like i knew i was having a good day when i went one positive to two negative but you're always kind of trying to get there right we're giving dopamine to the dopamine deficient brain so it's we're reinforcing the skills so just breaking down success another one classic one is how to study teaching kids how to study for your class teaching kids you know whatever it is that you feel like you're like like constantly having to repeat Building in a system or a routine into your classroom and automating that as much as you can, can be very helpful. Will everyone follow it? No. You know, the famous coach John Wooden said, when someone does something wrong, 80% of the time it's incompetence. They don't know what to do. And 20% it's disobedience. Trying to get rid of this 80%. You'll still have some, but you'll have way less. Mm -hmm. The point you made about um, the amount of negative reinforcement is, you know, for me, I was like blown away because I I, it, it, I have a new perspective. These kids feel defeated. And if they feel defeated and they don't have confidence, that's only going to spiral into behavioral problems, um, not wanting to come to school, 
not wanting to be respectful to their teachers, not wanting to do the work. And it stems from the negative reinforcement because they feel like they haven't done things right, but no one's teaching them how to do it right. And they don't really get that praise. So I like the idea of like two praise, one accountability and having that balance as much as possible. And, you know, there's always this talk to that we overpraise our kids. So again, you can go so far the other way, but people need the feedback and they need to feel that they're making progress and you can give constructive feedback in a way where it's not this like insult or super negative, right? You can give constructive feedback. Whenever we write comments on report cards and I was doing this before, but it is a structure because some people will be like super, um, you know, picking apart like a student's work in a comment. I'm like, oh my gosh, but you want to, start with something positive, like lead into that, even if it's maybe something about their personality, right? What they bring to the classroom environment and then constructive, specific, what that area of growth needs to be, right? Maybe it's being more organized. Maybe it's studying, maybe it's coming to see the teacher, whatnot. Not just saying you fail tests, right? But I see the test scores, you know, are, you know, they're not improving. So you need to make sure you're seeing the teacher, right? Let's go over the material. And then you end with kind of this idea of, I know you can get there and I'm going to be there to help you get there. So it is supportive. So what is something I see that's a glow? Where do we need to work on, you know, an area of growth and how am I going to support you? You can do this. I don't think that's just like, oh, we're over-appraising children or we're being too, you know, soft with them. Humans need that. Well, and, and yes. And so we can go back to kids these days, conversations, which just aren't helpful right now. But it's, these kids are, are built differently, right? Than you or our parents or grandparents are growing up. I mean, we can argue about it all day, but it kind of is what it is right now. And so that's just what the research says. Something you're talking about also is super important is the clear expectations piece. It's really, it can be challenging to do that as a teacher, but what clearly happens when you do what you do and then what's the accountability happens when it doesn't, it's not a character hit. And then the other thing you said that was so important too, it's like, I'm walking with you on this path. Like that's what kids need to hear that I think is lost a lot of times. And I know it was lost with me. It's like, I'm holding you accountable because I care about you type of thing. Mm -hmm. And having that conversation once a month, what's the best semester? I mean, this is where expert teachers, they just know their kids. They can see it when they just need to pull that kid aside. My favorite was always taking a walk with a kid because when you look at them eye to eye, that amygdala fires up and we're trying to keep their defenses down. It's amazing the walk and talks you can have if you have that opportunity, um, the amount of stuff you can have with your kids. But no, again, and I, and I have so much empathy for teachers here because I know times I've been put in positions where it's an impossible job and you're just doing the best you can. and it would be really easy to get defensive and it would be really easy just to hoop and holler at my class all day. But I mean, that's, it, it, it is what it is. And we just have to go back to how can we support these kids and, and why did we get into this? And there's only one way through it. Those kids are showing up at your door tomorrow, regardless. So, so what, what can we do to support them and, and, and try to best to keep them engaged as best as we can, knowing that 80, 20 rule that we can do everything research-based and possible. And there's some kids who just won't respond, but we can go to bed at night knowing that, we did everything we could. Yeah. And you're going to be able to impact most, right? Um, and that's where 
you teachers carry a lot with them emotionally about their relationships with their students and their impact but you know you may not get to every kid but you will get to most if you are really trying to improve your craft and and create a good sound environment and i love that you know your company you're there to support teachers we're not there to come in and tell you you're not doing this right or doing it well, or you don't care about your kids. And we're just going to tell you how to do it. I, back in the time period of No Child Left Behind, um, that's when I started teaching. It felt very much like, here comes the new PD coming into school. We're just going to tell you how to do things because Sorry. clearly your school's not doing it right because you're restructuring or whatever your label yeah. was. And this, what you're doing is saying, we're working with you. We understand this is a new generation of kids with new challenges and there's a lot on your plate and you don't need to do this alone, right? We have this built into place to help you. And again, it's that support and not feeling like you're not doing this right. And we, we need to fix you kind of thing. Well, and, and, and thank you for saying that, actually, Connie, but to break it down even more, it's like we have all these kids with executive function challenges not even coming in to try to change anything. It's like, what's, and this is where the hard work is, but it's, what is one thing that we can do? What is that lead domino? What's one routine we can implement that will take five, 10, 15 other things off your plate? It's a hard place to get to. Um, you know, the easy real life example is exercise, right? So if people exercise, they don't feel like eating like garbage. We see significant increases in attention and focus. We see, you know, um, increases in sleep. It's like you, you do one routine in your life and all these other things are made easier, right? What can we do in your classroom for that? For a lot of people, it's organized around my portals. Um, for some people, it's it's what's routine we can implement. For some people, it's taking one day to teach their kids how to role play and do it in front of the class. For you know, but what is that one thing we can do to save you so much time and stress and anxiety throughout the school year? So I, I think that's the mindset mm -hmm. that we need to come at it from. Yeah, focus on one thing that will be the domino effect. I love that. Um, Build the routine. More? Yeah. yeah. Build the routine, reinforce it, and then we can move on to the next routine. But if there's a consistent challenge, consistent fire that happens day after day, year after year, it's like, what do we do here? Mm -hmm. um, and I could talk about that for 5, 10, 15 hours about, you know, what challenge we're going through because there's, there's a million of them. But that's the goal. It's not to fix everything. It's to do that one thing. Yes. Yes. And that's usually where you have most success, right? You're laser focused on the one area that you want to tackle. And then you might see again, that uh, domino effect where so many other areas of the classroom will just be more, you know, organized, sound, good rapport, good classroom environment. Uh, would you like to share more about untapped learning? Maybe how you came to, you know, found this company, your um, experience with it, feedback from, you know, parents or students, schools, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. Thanks for asking. No, I just went on. I was teaching special education and doing some school psychology work. I um, just went to Home Depot and got a fake piece of turf and thought I was going to throw the football with a few hyperactive kids while studying because that's just how I'm built. Um, and it turned into something. You know, six years ago, it turned to something a little bit more. So, yeah, we work with um, kids across the country, kids in the area. You know, I work with businesses, I work with schools, I travel universities, just to really help just to help with this executive function. So what is it and how can we, um, how can we help our kids develop these skills? Cause these skills can be developed and 
Um, keep in mind, these are some of our best and brightest who just don't know how to systematize and organize their life yet. And once they do, they thrive. So that's where the passion is. There's a bunch on our website at untappedlearning.com. Um, if you want, if you're a teacher and you want something like a how to create a neurodiverse syllabus, like templates, like scripts mm. on how to, because we just give all this, everyone, all the teachers this stuff. It's like, here's a script I can copy and paste into my syllabus on like, here's how to email me. Here's how to advocate. If you just email hello at untappedlearning.com, um, we'll send you that stuff. So um, mm. yeah, yeah, no, I'm, the, the goal is just to help and and develop these skills thank you so much and i will plug that information in the show notes so it'll be an easy hyperlink you can go right to your website uh email if any teachers are looking for some templates that would be super helpful because ken another thing is time <laughs> teachers don't have a lot of time to be creating all of these things they could tweak it and make it sound obviously like their words but having an example template would be really helpful uh to plug into their syllabus or on their website yeah and again like like the goal is not for to create anything we've already created all that stuff so there's a bunch of templates there's a bunch of like here's a template for a neurodiverse syllabus here's a template for how to advocate you know we have all that stuff so if you just email us we'll shoot it out to you thank you so much brandon for uh coming on the show today this was wonderful to learn about your background and what you're doing with untapped learning i think this is a very um specific area that I haven't actually had a conversation about. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on the show because I think it's an area that uh, a lot of people can relate to. And I'm sure teachers listening will be like, yes, this would be very helpful uh, for myself and maybe for, you know, my school. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me again. Thanks. Thanks for all the work you do and everyone out there is doing. It's, I mean, it's the work. It's so important. So, it is you. the work. Yes. It's the work. Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's a future. It's, it's a future of us. So, so yeah. it's, it's, you know, talk about a legacy job. It's like the ultimate legacy yes. job. So thanks for all everyone's oh, doing. Thank you for that. That's beautiful. Well, have a great day. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the teacher story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.